So I've titled my lesson, uh, the message this morning, Come to the Table. Uh, on this Lord's Supper Sunday, uh, I thought that I would return to what perhaps is one of the best known, best loved passages of Scripture, and that is Psalm 23. And so I would encourage you to go ahead and turn there, turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 tells us that God is shepherding us. Uh, we see in this psalm several activities that we would expect a shepherd to do. He cares for us. A shepherd provides for his sheep, protects them against predators. A shepherd nurtures his sheep. He takes deliberate steps to ensure that they are completely cared for, that they lack for nothing. And we're told one of the ways that God does this, that our shepherd shepherds us, is through a table. And so we're going to take a look and see what Psalm 23 has for us about that idea. I'm going to read the entire psalm, but we're only going to look at verse 5. And so if you are able, please stand as I read the very words of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we see your shepherding activity in our lives. Lord, that you care for us, you provide for us, you protect us, Lord. Father, we're so grateful that you have that activity. And uh, Lord, this morning we praise you and thank you for that. So Father, I pray this morning that you would sanctify us by your word. Lord, your word is truth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in verse 5 of this psalm, we kind of have a fundamental shift. There's a change here in this sheep to shepherd point of view. We see activities that we would expect from the shepherd in those first four verses. He's feeding them in those green pastures. He's taking them to water with those still waters. He's guiding them on the path. It's his path. It's a specific path. It's not one that we choose. He guides and controls and directs them, comforts them with his rod and with his staff, even in the place of deep darkness. But then here in verse 5, it seems like we have this, this shift. Something else takes place here. Take a look at it. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Yes, a shepherd feeds his flocks, but this just feels a little different. Sheep are fed in the pasture, not at a table. But here we're told that he is preparing us a table. And so it seems that we've now been invited inside to enjoy this, this fellowship, this intimacy. And, and really it rings of family here. We get visions of home. And I, I don't know about you, but some of my most favorite memories center 
on family gathered around a table. You hear the conversation and the laughter. You can smell the aroma of, of what's being prepared. And I've just got such vivid memories of a family around a table. I can hear, I can hear it vividly. My father-in-law laughing and saying, oh, me, as he laughs. I remember the stories that my grandpa or my great uncle would tell. I can remember my grandpa poking and prodding my stomach, looking for room for that bite after I said I was full. Nope, there's one right there. And there's another one right there. You, you got two more bites in you. Just they're great, great memories, vivid memories. And, and they all center around family and gathering at this table. And so here in verse 5, we have this reference to a table. And, and I think this is really interesting. And I think it's important that we understand what David's conception of table would be in that 10th century B.C. mind. You see, table is all about fellowship. It's all about covenant. You don't pre prepare a table for just one. You prepare a table for those who are sharing in and participating in the covenant. The story of David and Mephibosheth, that's a hard one to say, right? I think it's a perfect example of this. Second Samuel chapter 9, uh, just, just a little backstory. Uh, David and Jonathan are, are beloved friends. They love each other deeply. And they covenant together. Jonathan is the son of, of the king, King Saul. And, and he's there to protect David. And, and again, he nurtures him and, and provides for him. Well, ultimately, David realizes that his beloved friend Jonathan and King Saul have both been killed. David is now king. And, and he asks this question. In, in verse 1 of chapter 9, he says, Is there anyone remaining from Saul's family that I can show kindness because of Jonathan? And so Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, he's still alive. And so David commands that he be brought to him. Now, if you're Mephibosheth at this point, you're terrified. <laughs> right? You're the only remaining heir of the previous king. I'm sure he's thinking, okay, this is it. My life is over. But David invites him because of the covenant with Jonathan. He invites him to come and eat continually at the king's table. We're told that, John, that Mephibosheth always ate at the king's table. We're told that twice. And, and this is a result of the covenant, right? The, the, the purpose of the table. David's expression of kindness is, is the table fellowship that flows from the covenant, between him and Jonathan, and then on a grander scale, between God and those who participate in the covenant with him. Preparing a table has special meaning in the ancient culture of Israel. It's a sign of hospitality. Again, it's a sign of covenant commitment and relationship. It's often a precursor to establishing those ties, those bonds of covenant and of relationship. And that's why we often find meals associated with legal arrangements or, or with political agreements. But in this psalm, the situation is even more alarming or, or shocking than we even realize because here, this table is prepared in the presence of enemies. Now, meals are for friends or for allies. They're for those that you're sharing in the covenant with, not for those who seek to do us harm. 
Now we understand, of course, that God is preparing a meal for his allies here, but not for his enemies. It's the one who's in relationship with him, but this meal is prepared in the presence of those enemies. It's a sign. It's a sign that in spite of that threat, the covenant commitment between God and his guest guarantees our safety. It guarantees that those enemies cannot touch us while we enjoy what God is preparing for us. And and there's just so much more. God prepares this table. The Hebrew verb for prepare is a rock. And it describes just that, arranging, preparing, ordering. We see this arranging mentioned also in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 2, where God prepares a table. Wisdom prepares a table for those who seek her. So this verse in Psalm 23 and the verses in Proverbs tells us something very, very important about table. When we seek God and when we seek His ways, He engineers our lives. He puts our lives in order so that our lives then display the order that He brings, the life that He brings even in and perhaps especially in the presence of those enemies who stand against us. So in Proverbs 9, wisdom calls us to forsake folly and to live. And God invites us to do the very same thing at His table. He invites us and and asks us to allow Him to do the organizing. Let Him bring His order and His preparation And the meal that you are served will bring you life. It will bring you peace. It will bring you order. And it seems so reasonable. right? Of course we know that God is able to do these things. He's able to arrange all of our lives so that we are well fed, totally satisfied. So that we experience peace and rest and and His provision. And we might even believe that He's willing to do these things for us, but we still have to let Him. We we have to take our hands off the stove. Stop trying to season that recipe. We need to get out of the kitchen and just wait until that meal is ready. Now, there are some times when my wife is preparing dinner and I'll go into the kitchen and I'll decide to season it just a little bit more with this or, or with that. Maybe I'll, I'll stir something that she's just stirred and, and it drives her crazy, right? And, and just, justifiably so, right? What did you just add to that, right? I just stirred that, right? Get out of the kitchen. And I'm sure, I'm sure that my meddling communicates that I don't trust her preparation, that I know better, that I know how this should taste or, or whatever it is. Right? We need to get out of the kitchen. God prepares. He does not share this culinary art with us. He does it His way, and He does it in His time. And, and it's a meal that's fit for a king. Right? So, so you won't find what He has to offer served at a fast food restaurant. It's deliberate. It takes time. In an age when we expect God to follow our urgent and our immediate, we've completely forgotten the art of fine dining. 
but God has not. Right? Letting God prepare, giving him the time that he needs to prepare is one of the most difficult things to do in a world that so emphasizes immediacy and urgency. But immediacy and urgency have a price. There is a cost. And that cost is chaos, disorder, disorganization. If you want peace, you have to wait for it. And the preparation is the most important thing here. The complete phrase is ta'arach. Again, arach is prepare, to lay out, to, to set out, and then ta means for you or you. And so Hebrew, Hebrew is a pictographic language. Those letters, each of them represent a picture. The picture forms words, and then the words come together and form sentences. And, and so the pictures associated with the word for prepare have this idea of welcoming or allowing someone to experience the covenant. That's really interesting, isn't it? God's preparation is that welcoming hand inviting us to come and experience the covenant blessings that we have with him. The last letter of the word Arok is Kaf, and its picture is of an open welcoming hand. That's what God is doing for us. He's, his preparation is all about covenant experience. His covenant allows us to experience his provision. It allows us to experience his protection, his care, his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Just like Mephibosheth, we experience the covenant at the king's table. The one that he has prepared specifically for us. And God takes his time in this preparation. He arranges the courses as a, as a master chef would do. He builds one flavor upon another, each dish highlighting and then completing the others, all textures working together. All of the senses are engaged in God's preparation. Everything the chef does is with the diner in mind. He prepares in order to allow the diner to experience everything the meal has to offer. And it makes me think of a movie. Uh, that movie is Ratatouille, right? You're familiar with that, right? Ratatouille is about a rat. The rat wants to become a master chef because after all, Gustav says anyone can cook, right? And so there's this scene in this movie when Remy, the main character, he's the rat. He, he's feeding one of his rat friends and he's putting these combinations together. And when his friend takes a bite of this combination, music and fireworks go off in his mind and in his mouth. And then when Anton, who is the food critic in the movie, tastes the ratatouille that Remy has prepared, instantly he's taken back to a time when, as a child, he falls off his bike and he skins his knee and he's standing there, there at the door with tears and his mom brings him in and sits, sits him down and she prepares ratatouille for him. And as soon as he tastes the ratatouille, he's taken back to that moment and it just makes everything better. Just makes everything better. And you can see the delight and the joy on his face when he's tasting what Remy has prepared for him. Well, God does the same thing in his preparation. No detail is missed. Everything he does is done with intention and purpose and it's done in order to allow us to experience everything he is and everything that he has done on our behalf. And it allows us to experience that covenant 
that we have with him. So look back. Look back at the verse again. Right, where does this preparation take place? You prepare a table before me. Right? Lephani. And literally that means before my face. And the, the, the pictographic idea here is something like authority speaking life and work or authority speaking into life and work. But let's think about the idea of face real quick. Right Before my face, one of the things that I long to know is that God's face is toward me. It's the, it's the priestly prayer, right? May your face shine upon us. Turn your face towards us. Be gracious to us. It's God's intimate, personal form of welcome. And so the presence of face here is really, really important. This table is being prepared before me, and it's all about having God's face towards me. This is face-to-face intimacy. I see God speak His authority and speak His control into my life and into my work. He gives me purpose and meaning in the things that I do. Another way to see it is life and work spoken in words by the one who has control or the one who is in authority. Either way, we get this sense of a pause here. Real life is happening all around me. There's, there's stuff going on everywhere and, and there's work to do and I'm tired and I'm stressed and the pressure is building and, and I'm just pressed from all around and then God turns His face toward me and He speaks authority and He speaks control over all of that stuff. I've got it. Come, sit, sit with me. Let's talk while I prepare this meal. Just relax and enjoy my company. He also prepares this table, we'll read in just a minute, in the presence of our enemies. And we're going to look at that in detail. But but let me just say quickly, the preparation that he does is in the presence of my enemies. And that tells me that in spite of all of the chaos of life, all of those real enemies, external or internal, that seek to do me harm, God is opening his hand to me. He opens his hand to me and he speaks his authority and his control into my life and into my work. And that authority and that control keeps those enemies at bay. They have no power whatsoever to do anything about what's taking place here. I get to enjoy God's provision and his protection and his preparation, and they can do nothing about it. I see the care and concern that goes into his preparation, and it's for me. It's specific. And we'll return to those enemies in a minute, but again, let's look back at the verse. He prepares before me. He welcomes me. That's that preparation. Before me, his face is turned towards me. Intimacy, connection. He prepares before me a table, a shulchan, What is a table? Well, according to the pictures, it shows something like consuming or destroying the authority or the control that seeks to separate me from life. So table is this place where I come and I see the chaos of the things around me begin to get removed from my life because of God's preparation here. All of those pressures, everything that seems to want to suck the very life 
from me is removed. It's destroyed because of what God is doing. God prepares this place for me where I find nourishment, where I find rest, where I find recovery, where I find the things I need to rediscover life in the midst of everything happening around me. All of those worries that this life brings, all of the enemy's control over me is consumed and destroyed here at the table. I find the place where I belong. And at the table, I find people who will accept me and walk with me and allow me just to be me. Your research shows us that families who will eat together, families who will have a meal at a table, greatly reduce the risk that their children will engage in at-risk behaviors. Things like drug use, violence. And in addition... When families eat together at a table, children are found to be much less likely to have any kind of psychological problems. See, table provides this place for family members to come together to build and and strengthen those ties, to build better relationships. They build a sense of belonging, which leads to better self-esteem and acceptance. It gives us as parents an opportunity to speak life into our families to take some time and just let the pressure and the stress drip away. This is what God intends for us to experience in His preparation. This table is before us and and it's there in order for us to experience His covenant with us and to allow Him to show us His kindness in the midst of all of that chaos that goes on around us. It's His deliberate action to show us He cares, and to show us that He's in control. The emphasis of this verse is on the preparation of the shepherd and His face toward me, welcoming me in to be involved with the nourishment He's prepared, to be separated, removed from everything that would consume or destroy me. And we see this in our next word. Right? The second place he prepares this table right, is in the presence of. And now this is a conspicuous place. This is a specific place. It's not just any place. Right? Is it a specific place where the enemies are able to observe everything that's going on? And that's significant. The word is neged, and it means just that, to place something conspicuously or revealingly. So this table is placed as a challenge. This is a statement. It's a demonstration of chaos's control being separated from my life. Makes me think of MC Hammer's song, Can't Touch This, right? Everybody familiar with that song? Yeah, I could sing it for you if you... Won't do that. Won't do that. But he sets this table in this place conspicuously. And it's in this place where the enemies will not be able to dismiss, ignore, or reject what's happening. Nor can they do anything to stop it. They're powerless against what God is doing here. It's a deliberate place where those who wish to do me harm will see the order and control and authority and peace and life and joy and blessing, everything that God does in my life. 
Here at this table, we express our absolute confidence in God's provision for us, in His goodness, in His kindness. And the picture shows something like life lifted up on the path or the doorway to life being lifted up. Either way, this life that we live in covenant relationship with God is lifted up so that others can observe and see the difference that God's make, God makes. This is, this is the path. It's God's path upon which life is lifted for all to see. It's the door through which we receive life, and then that life is on display for others. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This table is highly visible to our enemies. Now, the word for enemy gives us a very interesting picture. That, that word is a person working out their desires. Or the desire of the person is the person's work. An enemy is a person who wants life on their own terms, according to their own desires. There's no consideration of God. An enemy is someone who is hooked or snared. That's the picture of the first letter of this word, sade. It's a hook. It's the things that hook us. It's the bait, right? We're snared by their desires and their work is the work of a person who desires only to serve themselves, to get what they want. Their personal desires become the essence of who they are and, and that's a very narrow way of viewing life. That root word, sarar, the word carries the meaning of binding or constricting, hemming in. And for this person, it's their way or you're wrong. Right? Their, their narrow focus of me first, it binds everything around them to that view. Someone who demands that life be lived their way, it automatically means that you are in the way and they will do everything they can to get you out of the way. And I think we see a perfect illustration of this in the world around us today. If you disagree with us, if you don't accept our agenda, we're just going to cancel you. We're going to eliminate your voice, right? We'll get you out of the way. If you dare stand in opposition to these enemies, especially when that opposition is based on God's standard, they become very constricting, very narrow, Right? adversarial or hostile or other ideas that this word brings. But this word is not just about those external enemies. I, I think it's more related to the enemy that's right here, right inside of me. Right? Going back to the picture of a person working their desires, I think we need to look no further than the garden to see how this plays out. Right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Do you see it? It was desirable. It was pleasurable. She wanted to taste the fruit, and, and her desire became her activity, and that led to devastation. And James essentially says the same thing. James chapter 4, verses 1-3. through three. What is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war within you? 
You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. The source is our pleasures. Hadonai is the word. And it carries the sense of, of again, desire for pleasure. God prepares this table directly in the face of the enemy that's within me that wants to get only what I want to have life my own way. Now, I may believe that getting what I want is really freeing, but it's the exact opposite of that. I'm bound and I'm constricted by those desires. I completely miss this carefully planned intimacy and provision, and protection that God has prepared for me because I want it my own way. I'm in there seasoning the recipe. I'm the one trying to make that meal. And so, so God is going to prepare a table. He's going to extend this open and welcoming hand. He's going to turn His face, the smiling face, towards us deliberately in front of those who want their own way. And the result of that automatically is conflict. Conflict with myself and cer certainly, excuse me, conflict with the world, which means that the table that God is preparing, this place where I feel welcomed, this place where I feel cared for, the place of grace automatically puts me at odds with these enemies. And there are a lot of people within modern Christianity that do not like that proposition. They would rather not experience the conflict that comes from being a sheep following their shepherd, and so they compromise. They give in a little here. They give a little way there. And before you know it, they're completely off the path. They fulfill what James also wrote in chapter 4, verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. They drift from that path. They move away from the table. His authority is no longer separating them from the work of chaos in the world. They are in the midst of it and oftentimes are creating it on their own. When we forget the standard of living that God expects, better, I think, that He demands from his people, we lose that path and we enter into the chaos of the world. We cannot, we must not compromise God's holy standard. God hates sin. He is opposed to that which destroys life. He is opposed to that which distorts his image. He is opposed to anything that is opposed to him and he is actively waging war against those things. To enjoy the fellowship at his table that is a result of his kindness through his covenant. To experience him speaking life in the midst of this chaos is to stand in opposition to the forces of evil. And yes, sometimes that requires an active stand. Now there's also a positive element to the conspicuousness of God's table. When those enemies see the difference that the gospel makes in our lives, they're drawn to it. 
When Christ is making a difference in your marriage, when Christ is making a difference in your family, when Christ is making a difference in your work, when he makes a difference in everything you do, people see that and they're drawn to it. And we then have an opportunity to share the gospel, that open hand, that welcoming hand, and that smiling face of God that will pull them out of the darkness as well. There's a great song by Michael Card that goes, come to the table. He's prepared for you. The bread of forgiveness, the wine of release. Come to the table, sit down beside him. The Savior wants you to enjoy in the feast. And this is the table that our minds should go to. When we read, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, we should think of Messiah's table. Jesus said, I have earnestly longed, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He said that before gathering around that table, that last supper as we know it. And at that supper, Jesus used two elements to tell them, to foretell, to highlight what it was that he was about to do. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. The bread is his body. He said that we're to do this in remembrance of him. Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Verse 49 through 51, that same chapter, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus took a cup at that last supper. He said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Jesus told the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. During the Feast of Tabernacles, he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Those who will eat this bread will be satisfied. They will never hunger. Those who will drink from this cup will be forgiven. They'll be satisfied. They will never thirst. They will have springs of living water welling up from within. Their cup will run over. The, day, the table that Jesus prepares, by the way, he did that with an enemy present. The table that he has prepared gives us everything we need 
to experience peace, joy, rest, fulfillment, satisfaction, worth, value, meaning, purpose, significance, everything we need, we find at the table of Jesus. And when our cup runs over, when we have wells of living water springing up from within, when we are not hungry ourselves but satisfied, we can simply give. We can feed and we can water others without any agenda, without any manipulation, or without any control, trying to get something in return simply because we're already full and we're running over and we know that we will never run dry. We can give and give and give and know that Christ fills us again. We can love others and we can bring them to the hope of the gospel. This table is conspicuous. This table is meant to make us a billboard to the world that tells them of the goodness and the richness and the mercy and the compassion and the grace and the forgiveness and the love of God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our message. This is our mantra. This is our call. This is to be who we are. We're to bring God's kingdom to the earth right now. It's not something that we're waiting to go to. That is not how we're to live our lives. The kingdom has bearing on earth now, and we are to bring it here, to have bearing in this world. So go. Go proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded. That is the message that we declare when we participate in the Lord's Supper. We are proclaiming His death until He comes. We're proclaiming our faith and our trust in the full gospel message that Christ died according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures who now being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. He is the one who says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He says, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen, Lord Jesus. Come. 
The Lord's Supper is, at its essence, a proclamation of our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. Therefore, it is only to be received by those who have made that profession of faith and trust in what Christ has done. And so we ask, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, that only those who are a member in good standing with a Bible-believing, Bible-proclaiming church participate. And those, for those of you who are and, and are, are ready to participate, we are instructed not to take this bread and this cup in an unworthy manner. As Paul warns us, we are to examine ourselves before we participate, lest we bring judgment on ourselves for not judging ourselves correctly. And so we'll pause for just a moment to allow you to do just that. To examine yourselves and to make sure that there's nothing displeasing to hinder you from enjoying this profession of faith. And for those of you who, who have not made that decision, now is the time to do so. To give your heart, your life, your, your whole being to Christ. To seek His forgiveness. To turn away from your sin. To repent. So that you may join us in taking of the Lord's Supper. But please take a moment. Self-examination as we prepare to proclaim our faith by taking the Lord's Supper.